Hey, hey, uh, we are back for another bonus episode. Tana, Nikessa, and myself talking about uh, just what's been going on in Minneapolis in the past week or so. A little breakdown of uh, the Minneapolis mayor, a little bit about the St. Paul mayor. You're going to hear all that. Uh, so listen up. Uh, we're glad you're here. Weapon of Choice podcast. Uh, you know, we're, we're just in the cut. But uh, we want to just bring you some conversations when we uh, when we're up to it. And uh, if you want to follow along on Instagram, it's at Weapon of Choice Podcast. I'm not really on Twitter that much, but Twitter is at Weapon Choice Pod, and we're Weapon of Choice Podcast on Facebook as well. Email if you want to email us. Uh, Weapon of Choice Fans at gmail.com and uh, we're glad you're tuning in uh, subscribe do what you got to do if you're on iTunes Apple Podcast still give us that five star and a review that always helps we appreciate it we appreciate you for listening every time um, and you know share the shit out of the podcast there's three seasons bonus content get you some of that as well if you haven't already all right, much love to you. Uh, here is this week's bonus episode. Well, we're back, folks, and uh, it's only been a week. It is February, Sunday, February 13th, and we're back to talk about what's happening in Minneapolis, perhaps surrounding areas. I'm back with Tana and Nikessa, and uh, we've we're just going to brief you in on some of the things, the way we see it outside of the, the media that usually fumbles the ball when it comes to issues, especially in the black, brown, indigenous communities. Um, how are we doing today? Alive. Minneapolis is a depressing place to be in, but we're here. I'm good. I woke up from a nap. <laughs> I have a new lease on life. Yeah, I wonder, you know, how much more depressing will it get? But uh, some things happened this week. Uh, what would we like to dive into first? Yeah, it seems as though the last couple of weeks, so the beginning of February has encapsulated the state of policing, but public safety in Minneapolis. You have uh, another police shooting and murder of uh, Amir Locke two weeks ago, and then in the past week, multiple shootings, one resulting in the death of a 15-year-old. Um, most of those shootings concentrated in uh, on the north side. So again, over-policed and underserved, and there hasn't really been any indication that policing will resolve any of this. It's not even any clear indication based on Minneapolis's uh, ability to clear cases that they're going to actually find whoever shot um, Deshaun Hill. So yeah, I mean, if anyone were looking to see what the state of public safety actually was in the Twin Cities or in Minneapolis specifically, the past couple of weeks is a good indicator of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're in, you know, it's perpetual pain because, uh, you know, 
the muddies, the, the waters are muddied by conversations that seem to not really get us anywhere because we're all trying to, you know, be friends in this town uh, from a, you know, from the nonprofit to the, to the, to the capital, to the lobbying, to the, you know, I'm friends with the mayor, all that bullshit. So when we're hurting, it's not going to stop us from talking our shit because, uh, you know, last week's, you know, emergency episode, we got, we got, we got some responses from, uh, people we know all of us did that, uh, (laughs) we won't quote them all, but I mean, we, you know, folks thought things were looking up from a quote unquote revolutionary sense because of the reaction and community, you know, camaraderie. But, you know, when they started looking at it from another angle, based on what we were talking about last week, they started to, you know, chime in and say, oh, I got to, I got to, you know, I got to take a different look at this. I'm living in this city, Minneapolis too. And, you know, you know, how many conversations are we actually having with each other versus the conversations we're only having with our Facebook, Instagram feeds? Um, Even in the DMs of these social media platforms, I don't think these conversations are are, you know, pushing things forward in a way that we could easily just be picking up the phone or even just texting old regular old texting each other and when we want to uh, create more, you know, or just like sink our teeth into the nuance that is troubling. Because at the end of the day, like the more we look into the complexity, the more troubled we are, the more pissed off we are when we wake up. I can speak for some of us and uh, we got to just try to find a way to uh, not feel so alone in some sense. I'm, you know, I can speak for myself there. Like, if I didn't have Tana and Akessa and a few other friends in this town, I'd probably lose my fucking mind. Well, I have you guys and I still lose my mind. <laughs> I mean, it is, I think uh, we, after George Floyd was murdered and the trial for uh, Chauvin and all the conversations, all the corporations, the nonprofits, the unions, everyone made a promise to be better. And not just in Minnesota, this was what we were seeing around the country. Uh, but what we know is that all that has been superficial. It's just words. And it's very hard to be optimistic and hopeful right now to see a way out of this because uh, it's lip service. Um, people are, you know, <laughs> The mayor, a few days later, is celebrating whatever it is that he is, and everyone, people are moving on with their lives. And here we are trying to contend with what our future looks like, what the future of the children of this city looks like. Um, So yeah, it's hard to be hopeful. And what has our mayor been up to? Go ahead, Tana. I was just going to chime in. I mean, it does feel as though we aren't having collectively, there isn't a shared reality. (laughs) And I think that's borne out in the conversations. So what elevates to sort of collective or public conversation is definitely through social media, but through media. So the primary media outlets on radio, broadcast, TV, or the major um, newspapers in the Twin Cities, none of them seem to be presenting a reality that I can recognize. 
in terms of what the situation is or um, or even just the ability to push back. I mean, you just asked what has our mayor, Mayor Fry been up to? He's been up to, I mean, he was, he was still in hiding while it's appeared that his crisis communications team was getting him ready for whatever the official word was going to be this week. And he, uh, he unveiled that at Monday's um, POGO meeting. So a committee of the city council uh, invited researchers to actually talk about um, how no knock or quick knock um, warrants are dangerous and um, to talk about how Fry's ban was never a ban and how it was basically just an adjustment of policy and that it was still you know, inadequate to even doing what he thought it would be doing or what he proposed it would be doing in terms of reform. But they also invited Fry to that meeting. So at one point it appeared that maybe he wasn't gonna show up, but he did show up and he stayed for as long as the questions that clearly had been vetted before. He stayed there and then all of a sudden he had some he had some work to do once they started a couple of council members started asking questions um, that he that he either hadn't been coached on um, or that the city attorney hadn't signed off on. One of those questions was asking him if he because the mayor's office has asked um, DeRay McKesson to come in and to be an expert in campaign zero to be an expert in helping to reform or revise this no-knock ban. And um, council member asked if Mayor Fry was aware that McKesson is right now being accused by the co-founders of Campaign Zero of um, pushing them out and stealing years of research. And uh, Fry had, first of all, no idea what was being talked about. So clearly no research has been done into like currently what level of expert McKesson is. But also when asked if what kind of contract McKesson was under, Fry couldn't, like Fry had no idea if, if Dorea McKesson is actually under contract. So this begs the question, who is running the city of Minneapolis? who's making the decisions and who is, or is this again, just a facade? Are they just releasing statements and assuming that no one's gonna follow up? Because as we have seen, even now, uh, Fry has lied about his campaign promises and he's scrubbed his website. He's acted like campaign materials did not say that he was banning no knock. And so uh, like, media is not showing the evidence that he is lying right in fact in interviews people people the journalists say things like the protesters are saying fry is a liar defend yourself right like, did you lie they like, know like did you lie could they not do their research because the research exists like it's mm -hmm. the evidence exists yeah there are screenshots of Fry's official campaign website, not one of the groups supporting him or, you know, all for Minneapolis or whatever the, that group was called. So he, they went through and they scrubbed all of the websites, but they didn't think to scrub Twitter. So there are still some tweets where Fry is touting that 
one of the many reforms that he's enacted is a ban on no-knock warrants. So <laughs> that still exists. Um, so there's plenty of evidence. If any, if anyone, you know, anyone interviewing Fry wanted to actually be able to offer some receipts, they certainly could, but nobody appears to actually want to follow through on that. So what Fry um, unfurled on Monday was, this is his talking point. So when asked, did you lie about banning no-knock warrants? He now says, no, in all of my official channels, in my website, in my speeches, in my long form interviews. So clearly somebody has gone through and what they have scrubbed or created a new, a new um, narrative past is he's claiming that no, I was always very clear that it wasn't a total ban, but then over time, my language became casual. So that's the new euphemism for I lied is my language <laughs> became casual. That's right. And he, he repeated it a few, like to the point where Fry is incredibly well prepared. So the folks who have worked on his campaigns have said he is incredibly well prepared. So he gets coached and drilled on what he's saying. And I mean, everybody jokes and you can clearly see it, right? Cause he'll do crazy things like for months, re repeat same, his same little catchphrases. Like um, it's one about breakfast that um, culture eats policy for breakfast. So he uses these same lines again and again. And we talked last week about he'll even use like a cadence he'll He'll like follow into a, a cadence and use that again and again. So now he has this pat answer whenever he's asked if he lied. And it is, if you look in my official, on my website, in my long form interviews, in all of my official releases, very clear. But then over time, would I like there have been total clarity? Of course. Yeah. Right, did you pay? Did you actually pay for that product you're walking out of the store with? <laughs> I was casually walking out. Yeah, my adherence to the norms of capitalism became ca very casual. <laughs> you know, uh, so I think it's a good time to play that uh, interview he had this morning. It has obviously been a very tough couple of weeks in Minneapolis. The city is once again the focus of concerns about the police department and yet another wave of violence. Joining us right now is Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, obviously a very difficult few weeks. Uh, there are signs popping up around the city. Fry lied, Amir died. Did you lie in your campaign literature and are you going to resign as some people are asking for? No, uh, we did not lie and no, I'm not gonna resign. We just had an election a couple of months ago, the results were clear, and we have a lot of work to do. Uh, but it is important that we address the underlying issue that you referenced. In November of 2020, we put out a policy that ended the practice of unannounced entry. In other words, officers, as of that time, were required to announce themselves before entering the apartment, even in instances with a no-knock warrant. Uh, now, that was an important step that we made, and we believe that we can go further right now. Now, where we got into trouble is 
when referencing a longer list in shorter form, it doesn't always reflect the necessary nuance, and I, and, I, sure. and I own that. But and the, you, call, you called it sloppy, but you know, you're a very savvy politician. If one of your opponents did this, you'd be all over them. I mean, what do you say to people who aren't satisfied with that answer? Well, our, our campaign website, my long-form interviews, the press releases, all of it had the information accurate. And in fact, uh, even stations like WCCO accurately covered the full perspective. The difficulty comes when you're... What is he actually saying? Is this the casual sloppy shit or... It's never a good sign when you have to take a deep breath. So the, the big pause and inhale before he unleashes the, in November of 2020. <laughs> So uh, he's claiming that not only he had accurately portrayed this no-knock, not this no no-knock warrant um, business, but that even even um, objective sources like WCCO and WCCO is where the interview was taking place, right? So um, he's lying. So instead of asking the question of, did you lie? There's plenty of evidence that he did lie. You could, you could play any of the clips that are circulating where he says that it's a total no-knock no ban. But all of this is also quibbling about something that's the reforms, the number of reforms, any reform in modern policing um, that is possible has been enacted in Minneapolis and there has been no change. And so instead of talking about these ineffective measures to actually provide public safety, continue to talk about splitting hairs about did Fry lie? Like if Fry opens his mouth, he's lying. He doesn't have, otherwise he, do he doesn't have any, you won't hear from him, sometimes you won't even see him. So unless he's spinning a narrative, you can just assume that like whenever he opens his mouth, there is some spin there. So if you want to call it spin, if you want to call it lying, you have now been positioned to, um, to gain something from their supportive fry. All of those folks actively blocked for the past year any conversation on public safety until the point where they started to then co-op. Fry started to co-op the some of the language on public safety and so claimed that he would create a public a department of public safety. Um, he's made no movement toward developing a department of public safety since um, winning a second term and, and actually nothing has changed. So he has put in place a interim police chief who fired, who, who disciplined and fired the only officer in the aftermath of the, of the murder of George Floyd and the uprising, um, only one police officer was disciplined and ultimately released. Um, and that was because that person spoke to Rolling Stone without authority, without, um, without getting a sign off for the interview. So that officer supervisor is now our interim police chief. That interim police chief just promoted a whole gaggle of officers with um, really sketchy pass who have done some very dodgy things from um, stealing cell phones during a sting to 
riding around town in unmarked vans and shooting at people and in their own words, hunting people. So that's who the interim police chief has um, just recently promoted and promoted to leadership positions and to training positions. So in terms of what Fry is actually, what has he done? Yes, he lies all the time, but what has he actually done to help make this city safer? Um, and what has he done with his new, newly um, bestowed uh, executive powers? He hasn't done anything. He's been in hiding and now he is, you know, out, out uh, circulating some new spin. That's what he's done. So he's been consulting with these national figures. Yes. Um, he's been consulting with these national figures, and y'all say he's been in hiding. Uh, begs the question, is he also consulting with one Kamala Harris? Oh, man. To hide? <laughs> but, you know. Oh, Kamala Harris does hide. She really knows how to hide. Ask the, ask the other black colleges and immigration and everywhere she's disappeared and not said a word of all the things she promised to do. So anyway, this is not about Kamala Harris, but. All right, you guys want to continue this video or do you want to say something to Kessa? These complex issues in shorter form. I own that. Uh, we will do better in the future and we'll pr provide the necessary nuance 100% of the time. All right. In the releases and some of the early wording of this incident, Amir Locke's incident, he was called a suspect. He was never a suspect and he was not named in the warrant. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Is there an apology in the offing here for the family? Well, first of all, it was wrong. Uh, oftentimes you don't have a lot of information early on, but never uh, should our Minneapolis Police Department make assumptions about the individuals involved. Uh, it was wrong flat out and going forward, we have a process set up with our civil rights director to make sure that there's a necessary vetting of any statements that go out. Oftentimes during these incidents, you know, there's this balance Hold up. between. So just as a reminder, the same thing has been said. Um, we won't even go before the murder of George Floyd. So since the murder of George Floyd, when they put out not one, but multiple statements that um, were, were later proven to have outright lies in them. After that murder, police shooting, or police murder, um, there was a promise to do better. There was even some reconfiguring of how comms work coming from MPD. Um, then the next incident, there was again, well, to be generous, call it misinformation, but it's basically the police immediately building their narrative to try to um, to try to legitimize the the killing, the extrajudicial killing of, of folks. And so again, a policy was put in place and the promise to do better and it should never happen. Um, each time there is a police shooting, immediately the narrative begins that the, that somehow it was justified justified um, automatically that there it was a justified shooting, but justified in that the person who was shot um, deserved to be killed, that it warranted to be, so that the police were either in danger or feared for their lives, or that the person who was killed had no worth because they were, uh, they were a, a criminal or a suspect. Um, 
or in many cases, just black, honestly. Listen, I do not have zero expectation that this is going to change, not from any police department in this country and not from the media. Absolutely not. It's not going to change. We're going to continue using language that criminalizes black people, uh, even, even when they haven't been killed by cops. So, but also I didn't hear an apology. She asked for an apology and he, he no. said a lot of things. I didn't hear, I'm sorry. All I no. had was words, words, words. Don't believe a word of it, not gonna change. So let's just reconcile with that. And the media should also recognize that they're complicit in this. Uh, they have done over and over again, their standards about how you should take a press release from the media and not trust it. If, if I send me, or any one of us on this call send a press release to the media, they're not gonna publish it word for word. They will test it, they will prove, they will ask for verification, they will interview other people, but the police, they, they don't have that. So this is nonsense. And as we can see also Fry is not being challenged, <laughs> like no one's asking him, well, you said this and this is what happened. It's like, they are saying this and this is what you're saying. What's the truth? So he tells us what the truth is. I like this conversation actually is very upsetting because I have zero confidence. Second to people being murdered, I have zero confidence that it will ever change. Yeah, and it's not just that a statement came out referring to Mirlock as a suspect. In a press conference, the day of the shoot, the day Amir Lock was killed by the police, both Fry and Huffman, the uh, interim police chief, stood up there and referred to Locke as a suspect. The next day, at the next press conference or news conference, after the release of one of the officers, not the shooters, but one of the officers' body cam, Huffman still wouldn't back away from referring to, to uh, Amir Locke as a suspect or to, she wanted to still make it a little muddy when asked directly if um, St. Paul Police Department were still considering Locke uh, in, in, in relation to any crime. She still wouldn't give that up. So no, that it's not in there. It's not in a city's best interest. It's not in the police department's best interest to cast any doubt on the shooting for all manner of reasons, from liability to um, settlement to uh, sparking a protest. And that's the uh, question, like the question, the, I guess the question I wanna probably consistently bring up week to week, you know, for as long as we shall live in Minneapolis, as, for as long as this dude is mayor, um, the community's trying to, you know, whether it's some people in the community, whether, whether it's independent um, critical thinkers, whether it's this person interviewing him on, you know, on television, they question his lies from all, from, you know, several, you know, multiple angles. He continues to lie. So that just has me thinking he fears absolutely nothing. He said, oh, I'm not going to resign. I was just reelected. He, you know, when a politician does happen to change, you know, in a way that does benefit community, it's typically because they like are scared. 
that they might not get the votes the next election or, you know, and it just seems like this dude doesn't fear anything. He doesn't fear a single goddamn thing. And, and, and you know, what are we thinking about as a, as a community as to what will he fear? Like, are we trying to come up with some of those answers for what would this man fear for him to either resign or just do better, right? Because he, he can go on TV saying we're going to do better. Everyone knows those are empty words. Even like a casual liberal should know those are empty words. Look, liberals elected Joe Biden to president of the United States. Why do we think Minnesotans are got Minneapolis? Minneapolitans, are, why do we think they're going to do better? I really, I really am not convinced. First of all, the electoral system is, it is what it is. And white Minneapolis is going to, is going to protect its interests. And the rest, you know, there's black Minneapolis that is also invested in thinking of us as uh, uh that reform is possible. So Fry is not afraid. He has his people. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. When you heard at the beginning of this interview, he said very clearly, uh, I'm not going to resign. That was the first thing he said. So he's not afraid. Hmm. Information out quickly and getting it right. You got to err on getting it right. Uh, you have called for a, you have a moratorium in place on no-knock warrants. You say you're going to hire some experts to look at it. Why not just call the St. Paul Police Department? They haven't served a no-knock warrant since 2016. They're right across the river. Well, we will be working with the St. Paul Police Department in their strategy and how they implement and or execute knock or no-knock warrants. Uh, one other big piece uh, is, is numbers and necessary resources and how you ultimately execute these warrants. On a per capita basis, St. Paul has far more officers and resources than our Minneapolis Police Department does right now, but we need to work with them to figure out how they're best utilized. The Star Tribune reported this week uh, that a number of, of individuals appointed to leadership positions by Interim Chief Amelia Huffman have either been fired previously by the department or been the subject of lawsuits that have resulted in a city payout. In what world do people who are fired get rehired in a supervisory position? I mean, that doesn't happen in, in the real world. Why is it happening and continuing to happen in the, in the Minneapolis Police Department, where also you had Derek Chauvin in a leadership position? Well, first, these positions will all be reviewed. And I'll say, we have a national search right now uh, for a police chief, and we want to make sure we're getting the best and the brightest in that particular position who can then fill out and you've got, all of you've the got necessary. Applicants who Let's go find the best guy who like loves being a cop so much he will uproot his entire family to go be a more highly paid cop, i.e. police chief in some other city. Let's go get that person. He had no answer because no answer as to why people who have whose actions while serving as police officers of this and employees of the city of Minneapolis, their actions resulted in the payout. So egregious enough that it resulted in a payout to a resident um, and in some cases to their actually being fi fired. So behavior that egregious and yet they not only have been rehired, but now they've been elevated to leadership positions and to training positions. 
he has not he has no response so he quickly then go he immediately pivots to this national search and we're looking for the best and brightest and the, the same standard language that he uses again and again and again there's very little of substance that fry ever says which is part of the reason why he's always hiding because until they come up with whatever whatever they're going to whatever pablum they're going to download into him like he has to stay he has to stay off these streets until they upload some new information for him to regurgitate. Yeah, this this man is quite frustrating. Um, and even the previous question, when they're talking about uh, St. Paul, which we will come back to later uh, in the later part of the segment, it is irrelevant what's happening with St. Paul, one. Two, he keeps saying, you know, he talks about how, alluding to the fact that he, he wants more police officers that St. Paul has a bigger police force than Minneapolis does. Well, what, are, what is the Minneapolis? The Minneapolis police is not doing anything. They've been on a strike for who God knows when, since Jamar Clark was killed. How many years ago was that? So, yeah, they've been on a slowdown strike for, it, it, was, it predates the murder of George Floyd. Right. And so, first of all, we don't want more cops. But secondly, even the ones who are existing and the current police force we have, what they're known for is terrorizing us and killing us. So get rid of them. Tommy, we can go. One second. Some shenanigans happen. Children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't care. No one makes a Okay, here we, go. here we go, here we go, here we go. Want to be chief. We have people that do in fact want to be chief. Now, the national search is, is just beginning, uh, and so we still have quite a bit of work to do in that realm. And I'll note that in order to reform a police department, you also have to allow for individuals themselves to be reformed. It takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of effort. There are no easy okay. solutions in this, but we're digging it. Okay. This wave of violence this past week, um, another child is shot and killed in, in Minneapolis. Uh, two miles away, a short time, two hours later, two miles away, a bus driver is, is shot in the head. Somehow he's going to survive. The next day, two people are found dead in a car just a few blocks away from where this boy was killed, you know, this young man. Can you do anything to saturate that area? I know your police officers are stretched, but it seems like it is happening in focused areas. It is fo happening in focused areas. And in fact, about 95% of the gun violence that we see happens in about five neighborhoods alone in our city. Those five neighborhoods are dramatically impacted by this violence, and it's on us to make sure that we've got steps in place to remedy it. So first, we've got a national search happening right now for...
This dude keeps harping on this national search. We might as well just get a reality show going. Uh, America's next top police chief or whatever, because what the fuck? He's he's hung up on that shit. Like, does he just want someone to come in to be to be able to say he's not one of ours when he fucks up? Yeah, I mean, basically what we're witnessing is a little bit like phantom limb syndrome. So, you know, when you, <laughs> when you lose a limb, the loss of <laughs> Chief Arredondo continues to show up and fries here <laughs> in the most interesting ways. So yeah, his reflexive return to, like the, the police chief will save us. The, the police chief is such a key position that it will solve all of our problems. Or a new police chief, as I've mentioned. Second, we're going to be hiring more community-oriented officers that want to be the change in this department. Third, we're going to be where? Where do those people come from? Also, uh, what do you mean the change they want to see in this department? So you're saying what? Like the current police officers don't want to see a change and get rid of them. And also this code, this code of like community, what did he call them? Community liaison officers. That's a cop, like, stop it. They're gonna hire cops of color, maybe even recruit them from the neighborhoods they grew up in, still the same shit. So stop with the code words. Community liaison officers, literally, they mean they, they're gonna hire black police officer, someone Latinx, someone Asian. I mean, the reality though, and they'll say it, and the reality though doesn't bear it out. The cadet, like the, re the recruit classes for the past couple of years, it's had a smattering more of uh, black and brown faces and a few more women, but it is still true for Minneapolis police as every police, across, police department across the country. It is a career development pathway for primarily white, rural, and exurban men. So for non-college educated, white, rural, and exurban men, that's a career center basically, is, is the police cadet or recruitment class. That's who's gonna continue. When you look to the personality traits of someone who wants to be able to um, get away with beating or shooting people who wants to be a bully who I mean it's it a lot of it comes down to how do we advertise for policing there have been some studies that show the way that New Zealand was not happy with it who it was attracting for its police force and so they made a concerted effort in this campaign that actually produced different results the campaign, it was a simple communication campaign, but it was funny and effective. And they started to see that they were attracting different kinds of people than before when it was presented as basically a mini army or a mini, a mini military. And that's a lot of what policing, police recruiting is. Yeah, and you know, it's, and typically like, the couple of cops that I have known to become leave their like corporate jobs to become Minneapolis police to try to create change. And I'm not even talking about the type of cop that King was, the black cop who helped kill Floyd. I'm talking about like cats who actually grew up in the hood, but then they get 
assigned to the furthest thing from these five neighborhoods that Jacob references. And then it's just, you know, where, what are we going to do? Like, that's so incremental that that's basically you know, saying we're looking for to hire black cops is saying this is the way it's always going to be. But we can put a face to these murders. We can put we, we can put a black face to these murders if you like it's us too more often, you know, and, you know, they'll make them come in, do a song and dance. Right. Like fucking the Wayans brothers, you know, we're, we're brothers. Right. We're happy and we're killing and we're colored. <laughs> Give me a high five. And it's fuck, you know. I'm just, this shit pisses me off. I'm, I, what? He's so sure. He's like, y'all can't see the video, but, you know, he's just so sure of himself. But you can tell he knows he's lying. Like, how you can simultaneously be so confident in your words and at the same time have, like, no confidence in the truth. I don't, it's, it's a phenomenon. Like, we know what a lying politician looks like. He's a special, special kind, you know, and, you know, best way to do it special is the Minnesota way. Let's see what bullshit he has to say for the final 30 to 60 seconds. Strategy and approach so that we're bringing all of these different facets together. And then finally, we need to be working and partnering with the feds. Uh, the feds and the Department of Justice are going to be coming in. Well, we need they're, the necessary they're Viewing the police helped. department right That's now, exactly I mean, right. and they're going to come swooping in probably fairly soon. Do you have any timeline on that at all? We don't have an exact timeline, but we know that they can provide us with tools and resources to leverage better outcomes. And we don't need a, an investigation. So you're welcoming the DOJ oh, investigation and the conclusions. The okay. we're I love it. DOJ is going to come to Minneapolis and teach white cops how not to be racist. Okay. I be I so I am so confident you guys we're, we're saved. I mean the DOJ has been investigating. I don't know why. Esme has a very like very romantic view of what a DOJ investigation of police forces. Also, they're gonna be swooping in. Um, yeah, it's I don't think it's gonna be all of that, and I'm not sure exactly why Fry is so excited for this that he sees this as being, again, spin, presenting the fact that Minneapolis Police Department is, and historically for decades, so seemingly intractable issues of corruption um, and violence, like <laughs> that it has reached the level where the DOJ needs to be brought in to investigate. That's not typically something that a mayor would be touting. Um, but he wants to present it as being one of the solutions to his failures in, in uh, public safety. And here's what, here's what worries me. Um, when the DOG gets up in them guts, when the DOG gets up <laughs> in the Minneapolis PD guts, you know, and what worries me is a lot, a lot more is going to come to light and some, some more truth will get out there. Of course, we'll be angry, but the people who are working whatever networks to, you know, create the steps to get closer to, you know, down that path towards abolition in this city in particular are going to fucking fumble the ball because some of the people within those networks who might have the ear of the person who might, you know, 
make the right decision or make the right vote in an upcoming vote towards a particular piece of legislation. Some of these people who have those relationships in this particular city, because we know how when those relationships are good, what it takes to have them, if you're a black or brown person, you know, kicking it with these particular white racist, you know, upper class types, is some of these people have their own personal social, professional, and, and financial gain as a priority to the actual um, moment that we can seize when the DOG, when the DOJ brings so many things to light, right? Uh-huh. So when the DOG got, when the DOJ got up in the Tutwiler, Alabama women's prison's guts, they revealed so many atrocities that a certain group of people, uh, in, in you know, particularly Alabama Prison Birth Project, um, they seize that because the, their authentic approach to really, you know, getting a lactation center built inside the prison. That when you, I was, my, I myself walked inside that prison in Tutwiler, and you felt like you were in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds. But they seized it because they were authentically doing that work before there was a DOG, DOJ um, conclusion, before there, you know, was any type of national spotlight. But we do it backwards here. We like want all the spotlight, but we don't want to do the work. We and the last thing we want to do is do the work quietly, right? When when there's nobody getting killed, we don't want to be doing the work then, um, you know, as a whole, right? Because there's just you know so many factions of quote unquote leaders and like activism has become celebrity now. And so I'm like I'm hoping that when the DOG rips through the city of Minneapolis, that you know. It, it'll also, you know, bring to light some of the other bullshit because we're going to miss we're going to miss a huge opportunity. And I'm and like Nikessa said at the beginning, I'm not fucking hopeful. It's sad that I'm not hopeful and I'm, I'm not happy to be <laughs> feeling this way. Minnesota, the state of Minnesota is sitting on billions uh, surplus. At no point has Minneapolis publicly sought funding for public safety from that surplus. So the city of Minneapolis could, I mean, they have lobbyists. They could lobby the governor for some money. They could lobby the state legislature for some money um, to bring some resources in that could truly begin to address public safety. Because the issue of crime, right? Everybody continues to know this, but we will not actually do anything about it, is that in area in in communities that are fully resourced, you have less crime. You have more public safety when you're talking from the standpoint of crime, right? Lower crime levels, that's a particular kind of public safety. Where the community is fully resourced, that's the kind of public safety you have. So the mayor could, in addition to his reforms that don't do anything, he could be lobbying on the city's behalf to receive some of those billions, even millions from those billions of the surplus so that you know a number of pilots could be enacted. But no, none of that is happening. Nothing happens. Right, one of the things that's missing from this conversation too is the impact that COVID has had on black and brown communities here in Minnesota and even around the country. So we'll, people will talk about it superficially in the sense of that this is the statistics, a third, blah, blah, blah. 
double the population, like all the statistics will be there, but really government, local government, state, federal is not reckoning with what does that mean when families don't have food at the table, right? What does it mean when people are unemployed? Uh, and what, like you were saying about low resource communities, our communities have been re low resourced even before the pandemic and now so much so. And we are completely refusing to engage with that and keep talking up about uh, our neighborhoods. And Fryman said 95% of the crime is from five neighborhoods. We're talking about these five neighborhoods as if they're the problem child, as if they have not been oppressed and terrorized, not just this past two and a half years, but for as long as they have existed. That resources have actually come out of the neighborhoods the minute like black communities move in or other uh, communities of color. So it's all lip service, all a joke. They are not serious about any of this. Not serious about any solutions. So the same week that a 15 year old child, not a young man, a 15 year old child was shot and killed. The downtown council, so Fry addressed the downtown council's uh, annual jamboree where they were a bunch of super spreaders got together and talked about the, you know, touted the, the benefits of the city and tried to be cheerleaders for the economic return of the city and for uh, workers to return to the downtown area primarily. So the same week that we have all of these shootings, so the continued, the continuing to not address public safety in any meaningful way, Fry will get up and do his cheerleader bit for, for developers, for real estate developers. So the, that's what is, that's what Fry concentrates on. The people who backed Fry's campaigns, the reason why Fry is in office, downtown council, chamber of commerce, and real estate developers. That's that's who he is responsive to. So this business of will you will you resign? Of course, this man isn't going to resign. And uh, just across the river in St. Paul, the the black St. Paul mayor Melvin Carter his biggest constituency is police in his personal life, <laughs> including his uh, leadership role. Uh, comes from a cop family, comes from a cop culture. And, you know, if you look at the statement he put out a few days ago, um, you know, they were, you know, in a way, you know, covering St. He was in a way covering St. Paul police's ass. But in, you know, it's a short statement, but in the third paragraph of his statement, something that Kessa really loved what he said. Um, and we talked a little bit about the, the collaboration between the two involving the Amir Locke murder uh, by the Minneapolis cops. But, you know, Melvin picked it up, you know, uh, referencing the reports that St. Paul, no, these are Mel, part of Melvin's statement said, and I quote, reports that St. Paul officers haven't performed a no-knock entry on a warrant since 2016 speak to the department's character and ethic of de-escalation. Let me read that one more time, because I know the cast is ready to chime in here. Mayor Carter said, reports that the St. Paul officers haven't performed a no-knock entry on a warrant since 2016 speak to the department's character and ethic of de-escalation. Time out. I mean, it's the same thing as Fry. It's a lie. And in what world are we using ethics 
character and ethics for describing police. There's absolutely one would, you know, the way people are talking about St. Paul, you'd think that St. Paul has had no police brutality, no violence. And yet, in fact, isn't it St. Paul? St. Paul is the most um, vi violent or dangerous. Are the two they're synonymous? St. Paul leads most murderous. state in um, police, uh, police violence. So police violence is residents, the most incidents of that. Right. And so this is actually evidence of why us pursuing this idea that Minneapolis is going to have a no-knock warranty policy is bullshit, because we can see that St. Paul has it since 2016, and it's irrelevant. Like, really, we need to stop this conversation. And Mayor Carter also needs to... Uh, he needs to be held to account because one, some of the things that are happening now is because we have his black and fries white and you know everyone calls him boy mayor and all that stuff like people keep making a compare and contrast that St. Paul is so much better than Minneapolis but it's not. None of these cops are ever gonna they're not even in the right city to board the abolition train if they ever had a change of heart like they're just this, you know, oh, the you know, this is Mayor Carter again. The urgent need to evolve public safety approaches. The urgent need to evolve public safety approaches is what led me to public service and drives everything we've done from rewriting the use of force and canine rules to establishing an office of neighborhood safety and hiring social workers to respond to non-emergency 911 calls. This is this is this is all a promotion, but let, let's face it. Um, again, and I, I, you know, you know. I haven't done the research, but I've witnessed, I've been attacked by police officers. I've witnessed them attacking people. And what I've never seen when officers are violent with people is, is their commanding officer giving them the order to be violent. These cops are rogue in the moment on, on, any, given, on any given day. They might kill your ass. They might beat you up. You, you know, you don't hear the commanding officer saying, all right, go throw 10 of those niggers in the back seat all at once. Like, they're just going to do it. So all this talk from the mayor in St. Paul, is it's all bullshit. It is all bullshit. It's, I mean, there is no distinction for policing, but let's be specific about Minneapolis Police Department and St. Paul Police Department. There is no distinction between culture and policy. The policies, the culture, the culture of MPD, um, is borne out by which policies they will actually um, hold themselves to, which training they will hold themselves to, which training their two stories came out this week. One, um, that it's, <laughs> it's unofficial policy for MPD to ignore a training that has been put in place as part of, part of this reform. So that's one. There's also this um, ongoing issue it actually should have resulted in so many people losing their jobs within the, the city but um the city of minneapolis so hennepin county medical center hennepin county is the county where minneapolis um is and so hennepin county medical center in partnership with mpd had for decades um been basically picking up under the guise of uh, excited delirium. 
this non, <laughs> this bunk medical science term basically for police wanting to be able to inject folks with ketamine and knock their asses out. And um, so what, what would happen is EMTs would go to pick someone up and in Minneapolis EMTs often call for a police escort. And so police would highly suggest or just recommend or sometimes didn't even have to, that the person being picked up would be injected with ketamine um, to sedate them. So injecting them with ketamine in the field to sedate them, and then they were taken to the hospital. And a study was being done. And so you have this really dubious, um, ethically, I'm not sure how this is permitted, but there is a doctor who was in charge of the um, excited delirium ketamine study at H at um, Hennepin County Medical Center, who is also in their part time a cop. Imagine <laughs> that. Imagine. That. Yeah, um, but it came up this past week in the trial of the three officers um, who were uh, who are also being charged in the in the murder of uh, George Floyd in, during their trial. Um, lots of testimony, uh, but because that's one of the one of the uh, one of the misrepresentations from MPD is that George Floyd was ex uh, exhibiting excited delirium. So it is the like the things that get said when you are of someone when you are supposedly experiencing excited delirium are superhuman strength, right? Like all of this. Like this, these fantasies about um, the sub and that the simultaneous sub and superhumanness of black blackness, right? That black folks are possessed of this uncontrollable, unreasonable superhuman strength when police are trying to uh, trying to restrain us, and so that justifies the use of force. Yeah, I may just say something about that too. Is there is something really evil when these things that they're, what they're describing is someone is under duress. Like if someone is putting their knee on my neck or forcing themselves on me, as a human being, I'm going to defend myself, right? And oftentimes, none of these people are trying to attack the cops. What they're trying to do is to stop harm being done on their physical body. And so what they're saying to people is you lay down, don't actually react with how your body, like our bodies react to, this is how we react to violence. We either run or we defend ourselves. And you're telling people that you deserve to die or to be punished in some way because you are protecting yourself. It is ridiculous. That's one aspect of it. The second aspect is, Oftentimes, there are a lot of people who are in mental distress, who cops have killed, not just in Minneapolis, but in cities around the country, who are also what they need. Uh, is, is, yes, they might need a social worker, but if someone calls the cops to your home, and oftentimes families are calling cops to their homes because they are worried that this person will harm themselves or harm someone next to them, the point is not to kill them. The point is to de-escalate and, and to get them help. And so 
it, it is someone someone is in crisis when someone is in crisis you do not kill them you do not make the situation worse you don't heighten you don't heighten the their anxiety and the reason why they are you know getting agitated but of course that doesn't matter because in this case this is now considered a medical condition uh that is supposed to be tamed and the way they're taming people is by killing them and it turns out that uh MPD and Fry lied. Uh, this is another lie that was uncovered. So when the ketamine scandal broke, um, it took months, but finally then MPD Fry said that uh, they would stop, stop the study, stop the process, um, that it, they would no longer allow for uh, officers to call for folks who are getting transported to be injected with ketamine in the field. Um, turns out that it didn't stop. So it just kept on going. So they claimed that they had stopped it. And of course, the same thing continued to happen. Yeah, and I think like one day we should talk about like, just the whole, all these different levels of what like calling the cops means, why, when, who, because I mean, we're, you know, if we want to head down this road toward abolition, it's going to take, you know, all of us like retraining our minds with what we should ever call the cops for if ever right and, mm -hmm. and and we're so far from that not because folks aren't hopping on the abolition train but even because there are people who are self-proclaimed abolitionists still ready to call the cops on their fellow black man listen and sometimes to be honest we are we are so socialized to be cops and i mean i don't mean this in the literal sense that we're all police officers but the idea that people need to be punished uh, or, or um, again, back to the people who are going through a mental health crisis, if your first resolve is to call cops, this is people think they're protecting that person and they're protecting themselves. But even, you know, Tommy, to your point, some of the things people are calling cops on are for what? What's a cop going to do? Shut yeah. up! Like criminalizing us and creating this system. Yeah, I mean the to the how we are habituated to actually register conflict and crisis. Like our resolution of conflict and crisis has to have punishment in order to say that it has been resolved. Right? We don't recognize what resolution would be to either of those states, crisis or conflict, unless somebody is punished. Like we see it in conversations, we see it in work meetings, we see it in, in all, of, uh, all of our interactions. We have to figure, we have to create some spaces for us to practice ways of existing and being to, in relationship with one another in crisis and in conflict that doesn't result in calling a military to punish um, but also offers us some other possibilities for how we would feel that we were made whole, how we'd feel we're made safe in that moment. Yeah, Tana and Tommy, we should have a conversation in a future podcast episode on what abolition looks like and just go into long details. And there's so much we need to put on the record for some, for anyone listening. Um, because what y'all might hear is uh, some dissim dissimilar ideas of 
than what you hear from the loudest abolitionists in town. And I'll just speak to, again to Minneapolis. We don't gotta, we don't gotta get on a, on a we don't gotta get on this deep critical uh, rabbit hole of, of a national analysis because we got plenty of folks here who are fronting, faking the funk, and good lord. Uh, but you know, if, if if you know, we're 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 definitely always in shit talking mode. And one, you know, one ways when we're in group texting one another, uh, whew, we send each other like a, you know a screenshot from something on Instagram or Twitter, and then you know there's all these subsections of Twitter, but but boy oh boy, you know when when it gets hot in town, when it gets hot in Minneapolis, look no further than to uh, uh, liberal white Minneapolis Twitter to see some straight garbage. Oh my goodness, these people! So first of all. I cannot speak to other cities. We can, we could, you know, speculate what's happening there. I am assuming it's similar, but my goodness, the amount of space that these whites, well, some of them are liberals. Some of them call themselves progressive. Some of them call themselves radicals. Whoever the fuck they are, they're making a lot of noise, creating whole threads, describing who they are, linking their cash apps and their GoFundMes. And they're, uh, what's the other one? Vinmo. You know what? Actually, it's not just white ones. Non-black ones too. Yes. And, and you know, uh, I'm not going to slander you on this podcast. Maybe one day we will. Right now, we're not going to mention names. But you, all of you need to shut the fuck up. Like, seriously, you are triggering a lot of us because this conversation keeps centering you and you keep pretending that you're centering black people and you're not. You're not in community with any of the black people who are being terrorized by police officers. Community who, with communities where people are under-resourced and when you are in community with them, you are exploiting them. You are white saviors. So you all need to shut the fuck up. I am so sick of you. Like we are sick, sick and sick and tired of you. We're already traumatized by a lot. And it's one thing to see people centering themselves in the middle. I mean, you guys really need to ask yourself this question. Why are you benefiting from black trauma? And we're really, we're really talking to non-black, non-white people right now when it comes to the, woo, creating threads, Venmo's, cash apps in the middle of black crisis, up in their game. Mm. Yeah, white progressive, white liberal and white progressive Minneapolis Twitter was showing out this week in spectacular fashion. Um, a lot of unsafe practices also um, um, in these Twitter streets. Lots of, uh, also lots of quote tweeting, primarily Black activists in ways that aren't safe. Oh my it's like, why are you bring? Why are you bringing my name into your mentions? Yes, <laughs> that was happening, and then some of them are attracting the white not the Nazis, yeah. and with no care. Like, I, it's just this is why you know these people are not invested in us. They're not interested, and they need to keep away. Like, seriously, I'm so glad none of them is my friend because you'd stop being my friend that day because this is just, it is it is disgusting. It is unethical. 
And please find another adjective, guys, because I'm, I've run out of them. <laughs> but they had a they had an event, right? Didn't uh, oh what didn't the, our the white South Minneapolis lights or whatever? Yeah. Oh no! Yeah. What the they, fuck? Then. What they do now? Uh, was was it what how what night was it? It was a couple nights ago. All I know is that the helicopter was back on top of my house, and the surveillance plane for hours all night so yeah they started off in the middle of a neighborhood middle of the neighborhood it's also if you're gonna like you could go over to Kenwood Kenwood all of Kenwood is there all of southwest Minneapolis is there you could mix it up and go to some give some attention and love to some of these other neighborhoods or shit take that shit over to uh take that shit over to 30 to to Penn to take this shit over north and see. Yeah, go ahead and try. <laughs> see what you see how your results are. But yeah, they had it right down the street from the fifth precinct. They started over towards the fifth precinct apparently, and then decided that they would just go down, go uptown, go down Lake Street to go uptown, and then tag a bunch of windows. I'm not sure what that accomplished. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, this other thing to the point you bring up about safety, Tana, is that if you're invested in community, you, you recognize the ways in which we're already surveilled, right? So here we have police is already surveilling all these neighborhoods uh, that are majority, uh, well, we don't really have those majority type of neighborhoods in Minneapolis, but there's perceptions of where Black people live. So even in those neighborhoods, we know that there's high surveillance and not just from the police. By the way, Fry, the feds have been here. The National Guard is here. Department of Homeland Security is here. Minneapolis was a, 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 a project under the Obama administration for countering violence extremism, a program that was piloted here. And so there is a lot of black youth, many of them black Muslim immigrants who have been criminalized by the fucking feds. And so you guys are all like acting like this is just a game, but what, and then the other thing too is like, I just, I'm curious, even we're not gonna invite them here, but <laughs> what sort of strategic thinking goes into, into understanding what safety for community looks like, right? Because safety is not like, we're not just unsafe from, from, from cops, but like, how are you bringing more attention to people who are vulnerable and what are you like how or rather how are you not bringing attention how should you not bring attention because i don't think those conversations are being had and then to consider what also happened during the uh the george floyd uprisings is a lot of kids got arrested along a lot of young black youth got arrested and many of them are still have they still have those records they still have uh, the consequence, they're going to live with these consequences for the rest of their lives or for as long as however that happens. And there's, there's a level of like danger that these people are not considering. And they keep creating this narrative that we are a one Minneapolis community, which is funny because that's also what the mayor thinks it's we're one Minneapolis. And the white activists also think they are one Minneapolis, like. No, and I'll recognize the protests the other night, clearly 
I am not part of the community that organized this protest or took part in this protest or feels that the way that they were moving power, like whatever their conception of that is, like is completely alien to me because I'm not sure how. So in a city that burnt, when you now decide that, when you now cast your action as being a radical action, and what you do is you go stand in front of the uh, concrete barriers in front of the police precinct and spray paint the city, this could burn again. I'm not sure exactly like folks understand like scale and ramping up, like but just writing like this is flammable on something. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit different in a city that actually caught fire. <laughs> Yo, I'm I'm not sure what the objectives were there, but I hope they felt like they they achieved it because it was fucking cold. And then, like some of these folks out here, you know, grifting away. Some of these, uh, you know, these non-black, non-white folks. I don't know what the hell we gonna call them, but they out here on Twitter trying to do the most, trying to get your funds, trying to get them white guilt dollars. And when they're challenged, because it's not even about them grifting, it's not just about that, it's about the, the, the things they're saying are just fucking bullshit. And when they're called out by black people in their comments, they, within 30 seconds, they're blocking these black people who challenge them. Oh yeah, you never get folks as hot as when folks who are white savioring for you, just a minor pushback of like, even just like, could you not, it will unleash a torrent of abuse. Right, and the, uh, so we've talked about the grifting, but the other thing too that I'm recognizing a lot of these people are doing is that, and this is the curse of social media, this idea of being social capital and then being the voice. And so a lot of people want to be the voice of Minneapolis. So there's a lot of uh, <laughs> idiots, I'll call them, and please, my, my DMs are open. You can let me know or tag me and tell me that you're not an idiot, but you are idiots because, <laughs> and again, like back to the question, why the fuck are you benefiting from black trauma? Like you gotta answer that question to yourself. Like what is it doing for you that you are exploiting black trauma to become famous, to make money, to get, gain this internet notoriety for what? Like how does that how does that protect us? You're you're a piece of shit, and an idiot, and you have no fucking, you don't care. Like you don't care, so your moral compass is just like cracked, broken, spilt fucking coffee on it, whatever the fuck. And we got no fucking love for you. We we want you to stop, but we don't say it out of love. We say fuck you. Oh yeah, there's love here. And clearly we are in the era of folks are on all of the social, the various channels constantly, right? Like that's the nature. I am not gonna be as someone who is out on these, on these Twitter streets. I'm not going to begrudge anyone from their, what their posting rate is, right? But at the very least, like actually have something to say then or something to contribute to the discourse or just have some ethics or I don't know, at, at the very say, least. Yeah, I'm gonna say, here's the thing. People, yes, can post whatever they wanna post. 
what's happening is that yes that's what they're doing but they're saying if you're just starting to follow Minneapolis Twitter, this is blah, blah, blah. That's, that's not, that's different from posting. People are writing literal threads and like linking to their, to their whatever. So some of them are not even directly asking for money right now, but the question, the asks for money are coming or they come a few days later. So yes, you are at liberty to post whatever you want and, but you're not the voice of black Minneapolis at all. And there is no voice of Black Minneapolis anyway, because also some Black people are also saying shit that I don't give a fuck about, but it, it's annoying. Yeah, I mean, the everyone now knows that the there's an entire economy, unfortunately, around police shootings, uh, around extrajudicial violence. Um, an incident will happen. There will be authentic, legitimate swell of communication across social media. And then what follows is the actual resourcing of response from the community. But now, and it used to be a little bit longer of a delay for then the opportunists to come in and draft off of that authentic resourcing for the community to respond to that incident. Um, but now it's immediate in terms of the opportunistic, um, like entrepreneurial re social media response to police violence. Eventually we'll name more names. And not that I forgot, but just because, sir, you are so useless that any relevant news we're gonna touch on, but yeah, Tucson, we still will be coming for your punk ass, okay? Uh, you know, it's Sunday night. I got to put the kids to bed. How y'all feeling? Yeah, I got to get ready for work tomorrow. All right. We feel good? Yep. Yes. Great. Uh, just want to thank everybody for tuning in. I've got two, uh, two dope friends, Tana and Nikessa. Thanks for joining me because, uh, you know, we talk all the time, but, um, we do love, there's a lot of people, like our people we love here in town, our, our, our black comrades and whatnot. And, 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 you know, we'll see our people, you know, you know, like they're busy too. They're living their lives, they're dealing with traumas, they're dealing with everything. And, you know, we can't, we can't really, sometimes it just hurts to see some of our own people buying into some of the, the, the shit that might come across the screen and everyone's busy. So, you know, you'll read most black people for face value if they're out here representing in some way community uh, in, in terms of solidarity, right? So every, we found, we find, I find myself reaching out to friends like, oh, oh, you believe that? Oh, I got to tell you some truth here. Let me give you this little bit of information. Let me give you this thing to read about. But it it it's not, it kind of hurts sometimes, and then we vent about it in our group text. But in general, we wanted to just provide a little bit of analysis to we we're from we live in Minneapolis, but we we are just we have it's 2022. We just don't have any fucking tolerance for people on some bullshit. We don't have any tolerance for people who are trying to become celebrity activists. We have no fucking tolerance, but we are still just sitting in our homes in a pandemic being safe so we just gonna get on the line and talk to y'all sometimes so thanks for tuning in tana nikessa i love you any last words
Alrighty. We out of here. We're going to drink some tea and call it a night. Peace out, everybody. Oh. Nah, fuck it. What? Uh...